Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. This morning, we're going to jump right into 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, How many of you can remember as a child being in the swimming pool in the summer, and there was always that competition that you would have with your friends of, Who can hold their breath the longest? Y'all remember that, right? Now look, I don't like to lose at anything. You can ask my kids right now, have you ever beat your dad at anything? And the answer to that is no. Well, I have to show male dominance, right? It doesn't matter what we're doing. If it's checkers, if it's basketball, I'm going to win and I hate losing. Same thing with holding my breath. I'm gonna win. But you can remember as a child going up underwater, and you take that, that gasp of air and you submerge yourself. And many of you have different techniques and you've all explored all the techniques. You know, is it better to, to kind of curl up in the fetal position in the bottom of the pool? Is it better just to float? Is it better just to sort of stand there? What, what's, how can I burn the least oxygen and be able to hold my breath the longest? But you all know how miserable it is because you can't lose, right? And so you barely open your eyes underwater to see where the person's at. And then all of a sudden, you, you start getting lightheaded. You start getting a little dizzy. And then you start, you know, maybe blurred vision in the water. I don't know. But then all of a sudden, you feel your head start tingling. And if you're anything like me, I'm not going. And I'm under the water just going, oh, I cannot let go. And then at the last moment, you explode out of that water and you just gasp for air. At the last moment possible, you come up and it's just like, (gasps) and the reason that I tell that story is because as I was reading this week, that is kind of the mentality that God opened my eyes to, that 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 was Paul's heart with what we're gonna look at today. Paul waited to the very last minute for him to do something. So I want you to look, look, we're not gonna go very far today in chapter three. We're gonna look at the first five verses and that's all we're gonna be looking at today. But I want you to read with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter three, verses one through five. Paul starts and he says, therefore, when we could endure it no longer, that's kind of the segue to where we're going this morning. When we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Verse three, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction and so it came to pass. And you know, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for the fear that the tempter might have tempted you and that our labor would have been in vain. 
That phrase is the very first one that we want to pay attention to this morning is when he said, I could endure it no longer. What we realize is that that is the is kind of the picture that we were trying to paint with, with being under the water, holding your breath as long as you possibly could. And then at the last moment, when you could endure it no longer, you had to come up for air. And so what we see is when we read that, it says when Paul says, when I can endure it no longer. What is the it? What is Paul talking about when he, he says, I could endure it no longer. What is the it? And the way that we read the Bible is there's all kind of words that will lead you to understand what the text is saying. And the very first word that we notice in verse one leads us to define what the it is. And that word is therefore. The very first word, no, this is not English, this is not a literature class, but it's very important that we know how to read the word of God. So you have to ask yourself, the therefore is, why is it there? What's the therefore, therefore? And so when we read, what is the therefore, therefore, we read it in verse 17 and 18. This helps us understand what the it is. Look at verse 17 and 18 in chapter two. We read these two verses last week. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, we're all the more eager and with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. And so what Paul could endure no longer, what Paul could take no longer was the fact that he had been separated from the church at Thessalonica. He had been removed, he had been separated, him, Timothy and Silas had been removed from the church at Thessalonica. And Paul is saying, look, I can't take it any longer. I've taken it as long as I possibly can and I can't take it any longer. And that's when we read there, when we could endure it no longer. And so what we get a glimpse of, what we begin to get just a, a hint of was Paul wanted to be with his church. Paul wanted to be with other believers. Now understand, this is not talking about Paul was, was wanting to be with a, a church building or a specific location. But what Paul was missing, he was missing his church family. He was missing being around his brothers and sisters in Christ, the ones that he had seen step from darkness to light. He was, he was missing them. And he had gotten to the point where he could take it absolutely no longer. And we know that Paul had a heart for family. Because if you remember, I think it was two weeks ago, Paul referred to himself as the spiritual mother. Then later he referred to himself as a spiritual father. And then we read all through this book and all of all Paul's other letters where it's always referencing the brother, meaning the believers. And so we know that this letter is to the believers, it's to the church, and he's letting these other Christians know. He says, look, I miss you. I can't endure this any longer. I can't, I can't fathom being apart from you any longer. I have to know what's going on. I am so burdened about you that I am in agony. 
I am so burdened about what's going on in your life, the persecution that you're facing. I can't take it any longer because I love you that much and I'm miserable because I don't know what's going on. And so I wanna pause there and I want to ask you a question this morning. When is the last time that you have been that burdened about a church family member? When is the last time that you have been in agony because you have been so concerned about a brother or sister in Christ? To the point where Paul is saying, I could endure it no longer. How many sleepless nights have you had because of a brother or sister in Christ? How much misery have you had as a result of a brother or sister in Christ and your concern and the love that you have for them? When's the last time you've been that burdened? Or maybe you ask the question, have you ever been that burdened? Maybe that's a foreign concept to you. Maybe you've never been that burdened for a brother or sister in Christ. And if that's the case, I would venture to say that you've never been close enough to a brother or sister in Christ to carry that burden. When's the last time that you have been so worried about somebody that was not in your blood family, so to speak? Because what we realize is that when Paul's talking to these family members, when he's referencing himself as a spiritual father and a spiritual mother, you realize that the only blood that connects them is the blood of Jesus Christ. They're not blood family. But Paul loved them so much that he was concerned about his church family. You know, we've said this so many times, probably till you're gonna be sick of it. But if God has called you to, to this place, if God has called you to declare that Chestnut Mountain Church is your home, or if or someone has invited you to be a part of this fellowship, what I want you to realize is that, that God has not called you here. God has not placed you here to simply fill up a seat. That's not why God has called you here. Number one, we've often said that God, is, if he's called you here, then you serve a purpose in the mission that he's placed on our hearts here. But secondly, if God has called you here, God's desire is for you to be in relationship with people that are in this room. If God has called you here, he has called you to do life with people that are on your right and on your left, that are gonna be here at 1045. He's called you to be in relationship with people who are serving downstairs. He's called you to be in relationship with people who are teaching in our students area right now. But if God has called you here, he's not called you here to take up a seat. He's called you here to have relationships with people. And when you begin to have relationships with people, you grow to love people. You grow to carry the same burden that they carry. You start to love them the way that Paul loved the church at Thessalonica and all of the other churches that Paul was a part of. But when is the last time that you lost sleep 
over a brother or sister in Christ? When is the last time you let their burden weigh you down? God has called you to be in relationship. And it's amazing how oftentimes that the perfect stories will come up at the perfect time. Just a very, very generic story, if you would, but this is just how, what these relationships are supposed to look like. Tim shared with me this past week that Miss Laura McDonald was getting her hair cut. And she asked Lisa Davis, who was cutting her hair, and she said, I want you to pray for a friend of mine. And as they begin to talk, she began to share a burden of a church family member and a son that was having surgery. And come to find out, they knew the exact person that both of them were talking about. But what I learned from that is, do you realize that Miss Laura was so burdened about a church family member that she was willing to ask anybody for prayer? She loved that individual and that family that much that she was just gonna talk about it in the hair salon, the barber shop. Hey, that's where you go catch all the gossip, right? Right, Miss Lisa? Look, she got her head down now. But isn't it beautiful when it's not gossip, it's prayer. It's prayer that somebody was that burdened in the middle of a haircut that they begin to ask prayer for a church family member because they were that burdened for what that family member was facing. When is the last time that that was your mindset? When was the last time that you were that burdened by someone that's in your church family? And I know y'all are probably all thinking, well, Brian, you're just an emotional guy. You're just sentimental. That's just how you're wired. You wanna carry all the burdens of everybody. You wanna worry about them. But can I tell you that if we look back at what Paul has talked about up to this point, if you remember, Paul told Timothy and Silas, you imitate me because I imitate Christ. And then later in this book of 1 Thessalonians, he lets the Thessalonians know, I am so thankful that y'all are imitating us. Y'all are imitating what Paul, Timothy, and Silas are doing. He was celebrating that. But he wasn't celebrating the fact that they were looking like Paul and Timothy and Silas because remember, they are imitating Christ. So if the church at Thessalonica is imitating those three, ultimately they are imitating Jesus Christ. And so when we begin to love and to care about other people, it has nothing to do with Brian. It has nothing to do with Paul, but it has everything to do that we are being shaped and molded into the image of the son, Jesus Christ. We are made to love. We are made to carry each other's burdens. That's what church family is for. That's what the family of God is for. It's to care that deeply about one another. But when we begin to care that deeply for one another, we're becoming like Jesus. We're becoming like Jesus. But then I find it interesting that Paul is just pouring his heart out. He said, I've cared so much for you. I'm burdened for you and I could handle it no longer. I had to do something. I couldn't sit here on my hands anymore. I had to do something. And then when you read verse two, it kind of throws you a curveball. I had to do something. 
and we sent Timothy. Now on the surface, you read that and I was like, Paul, you've just talked about how much you love these people. That you could carry this burden no longer. And so the way you're painting this picture, Paul, you are gonna do everything you could to be the one that went to them. And so he's poured his heart out and all of a sudden, I've gotta do something. I'm gonna send Timothy. Like you sissy. If you really care, Paul, you'll be the one that goes. Paul, if you're burdened as you say you are, you will be the one that shows up at the hospital. If you really care to the point that you say you care, you're gonna be at every little nick and cranny that somebody needs. You're gonna do it. You're gonna be the one that does it. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, well, what does it mean that he sent Timothy? Why is it so important that we see that he sent Timothy? Because to me, it seems like a cop-out. But one thing that we've gotta make sure that we notice is that when Paul talked about in verse 17 and 18, that he had such, he was so eager and such a great desire to be with the people of Thessalonica. And we know that reading the text that that was continuing to grow. It wasn't subsiding. If anything, it was growing with energy. It was growing. He was becoming more eager. He was becoming more burdened and it just kept billowing up. And so we know that that was not his, his desire was to be with the people. He could bear it no longer. He wanted to be with them so bad. And what we know is to our knowledge that Paul was making absolutely every effort that he possibly could to be with the church. He was making every effort that he possibly could. But if you remember what it said at the end of verse 18, but Satan continued to hinder. We don't know a lot of the detail there. We don't know a lot of, of what it's talking about, of what was the enemy doing? What was Satan doing that was keeping Paul from going? But what we do know is that Paul's ability to get there was not for the lack of trying. Paul was doing everything he could to minister to the church at Thessalonica, but for some reason, Satan continued to hinder him. He couldn't get over that. He couldn't get past that for whatever reason. But because he couldn't, what we're gonna see next is absolutely mind-blowing to me. What we see next is, is a huge sacrifice that Paul made by sending Timothy. Paul made a huge sacrifice by sending Timothy. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, and I wanna read just two verses and then we're gonna go right back to 1 Thessalonians. Philippians chapter two, verse 19 and 20, Paul continues to write. He says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. So here again, we see the same thing. And if you read a lot of the letters, you'll notice that Paul continued to send Timothy to go to church, on, to check on these churches. But he says that they're gonna send Timothy to you shortly so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Here's the key to it, verse 20. This is where we know what a sacrifice it was for him to send Timothy. 
For I have no one else of a kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. You see, that kindred spirit tells us all that we need to know. Paul declares that I have no one else. So what Paul lets us know there is that Timothy was his closest relationship. Timothy was his right-hand man. Now don't forget that Paul is continuing to be persecuted. He's continuing to be thrown in prison. He's continuing to be beaten. He's continuing to pay the price for his faith. And we all know that when we're going through difficult times, aren't those difficult times a whole lot easier when somebody's right there with us to go through it with us? And so Paul is saying, look, this is my right-hand man. I'm in the middle of persecution. I'm in the middle of being beaten. I'm in the middle of being thrown in prison. And other than Timothy, I, I don't have anyone else. I don't have anyone else. How many of you right now, if I told you to write down or you just had their name come to your mind, Who is that one person that you would call when things fell apart? Who is that one person that you would pick up the phone and call when a tragedy hit? Who is the one person that you would run to? Who is the one person that you would lean on the most? You know, a lot of us in this room, you've experienced death. You've experienced death of a loved one or death of a friend or a family member. And maybe that family member or that friend was that person that you would call. What's always interesting is that even when tragedy hits, even in the absence of that person, where do our thoughts automatically go? They go to that safe place. They go to that person that we would have always called. And then all of a sudden it hits you right in the face that you know what, they're not there anymore. And how many times does that hurt? How many times does that remind you of their absence? It breaks your heart because that was my go-to person. That was the person that I always leaned on, but they're not there anymore. Do you realize that is what Paul is wanting us to understand? That Timothy was my guy and Timothy's not here anymore. Timothy was my safe place. Timothy was my rock. Timothy, the one that was walking with me through the hardest times of my life. But what we see is the heart of Paul. And if you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this this morning. That Paul let the love for the church exceed his love for his comfort. Paul let the love for the church override his love for comfort. That is the kind of sacrifice we're talking about. Now look, I don't wanna reach too deep into this text to make it say something that it's really not saying, but I do believe that there's a big, big, big principle that every one of us as believers can learn from what Paul is talking about here. And what I mean by that is, I wanna pose another question. When is the last time that you let the love for the church override your love for comfort. 
When is the last time that you let your love for the body of Christ override your love for your own comfort? You know, maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit has spoken to you over the last several months. And maybe God has placed it in your heart to start serving in, in kids. And your knee-jerk reaction is, ooh, that makes me a little uncomfortable. And you've done nothing. So you know what that tells me? That you are letting your love for your comfort override the love for the church. Or maybe God has placed it upon your heart to serve in student ministry. But all of a sudden, the first thing you think about is, whoo, that's awful uncomfortable. I don't even like teenagers. If you say that, can I tell you, you're probably the very one that God's calling to be in student ministry. Y'all laugh, but I am being dead serious. Maybe God's laid it on your heart to, to be on the guest services team. And you're like, ugh, I don't even like people. So God can't be calling me to do that because that's gonna make me very, very uncomfortable. Or maybe that God has laid something on your heart financially to give to the body of Christ. And maybe that amount of money that he's placed on your heart makes you very, very uncomfortable. And you can say, well, if I'm uncomfortable, that must mean no. But can I tell you, that is the beauty of the way God works. When God puts us in uncomfortable situations, it is an opportunity for him to prove that he is our comfort. You know, last Thursday, my oldest son, I asked the men at men's breakfast and to make one more plug for that man, we gather here every Thursday morning at six o'clock to open God's word. You say, what else do you do? Nothing. We just open the word of God. Well, we do drink some coffee and eat some biscuits. But my son had an opportunity to go back to his elementary school and to share at FCA. Can I tell you that my 14 year old came up with every excuse why not to do that? Because he was uncomfortable. And as a dad, I sat in the back of the gym and I watched my 14 year old fight fear. I watched him be scared to death I watched his little kneecaps bouncing up and down as he's standing in front of students. But can I tell you that when we got in the truck, he was able to testify that daddy, even though I was uncomfortable, God allowed me to be comfortable. He became my comfort. So church, when is the last time God has called you to do something that is very uncomfortable? Can I tell you, step into it because God's gonna prove that he is your comfort. That he is your comfort. So we see that about Paul, that Paul was willing to sacrifice his comfort for obedience for the church. That's the heart here at Chestnut Mountain. You say, well, what do you mean? You know, there's a reason that you only see Jared about two to three Sundays a month. The reason in that is because he goes to city church and preaches at the same time that we're having service here. 
We're choosing, we're choosing to let the love for the church override our comfort here. There's a reason that Greg Worley is not here this morning. Guess where he's at? He's preaching at City Church. We let the love for the church override the love for our own comfort. Because look, from a selfish place, probably you too, it's a whole lot more comfortable when those two guys are here for me. It's a whole lot more comfortable when those guys are on campus. There's just something reassuring about it. There's just a piece about it. But now all of a sudden, for us to be obedient, we must let the love for the church override the love of our own comfort. And that's what we're about. That's what we wanna be about. So are we allowing the love for this body to override our own comfort? So we still have to ask the question, yes, Paul is, Paul is forfeiting his own comfort for the benefit of the church. He's letting Timothy go. He is being open-handed with Timothy, but what, what was Timothy's purpose? Why did Timothy go back to the church of Thessalonica? And this sort of steers everybody back down to the thinking of this family thing, this family concept. This gets us focused back on what the family is for. Yes, we know that Paul sent Timothy to check on the health of the church. He wanted to know how they were doing, but it's much deeper than that. He was gonna check on them, but we also read in the text in verse two, the latter part of verse two, he says, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. You know, what I love about Paul is he had the right perspective of Timothy. He's called him his brother. So we know that Paul loves Timothy. But the next thing he calls him, he says that Timothy is God's fellow worker. He very selfishly could have said, but yes, Timothy is my fellow worker. But he realized that Timothy was not his. He said, Timothy is God's fellow worker. And that is the very reason that we are gonna be open-handed with God's people. That is the very reason that we're gonna be open-handed with Timothy is because we know that ultimately it's God's fellow worker. It's God's army that is being deployed. And so the reason that Timothy is being deployed is he's being sent out to check on him, but he's also being sent to strengthen and encourage the church. Now, I know that those are two words that are pretty simple to understand, but I think it helps put meat on the bone when we read the definition of what those two words mean. Timothy has been sent to strengthen, and here's what that means. To stabilize by providing support. Stabilized by providing support. And this would be what we would call like a construction term. If a wall was getting ready to fall, they would bring strength to it by stabilizing, by putting things against it. If a building is getting ready to crumble, you would provide strength so that it wouldn't fall. It would stabilize what was leaning one way or the other. And so Paul sends Timothy 
so that he can strengthen, so that he can bring support, so that he can stabilize the very people who may be having a hard time as a result of their faith. So we see that Paul is sending them to strengthen, but he's also sending them to encourage. Encourage means to motivate or make them believe that they can overcome the impossible. There was something that I loved when I coached. I loved to encourage. That pre-game talk, that pep talk, that before you busted out of the locker room, it didn't matter how good the team was you were playing and how bad you were. If you could give a good pep talk, you had them believing that they were gonna win that game. And in the back of your mind going, we ain't got a chance. But that's what encouraging does, is you help people believe that they're gonna overcome the impossible. And so Paul has sent Timothy to stabilize and to provide what they needed, but to also to speak life into them. And I say all that to say, as a believer in Jesus Christ, this is all of our job. We are all called to strengthen and encourage one another. We as the family are called to provide stabilization for someone. We are called to speak life into each other. That is what this family is for. That is what this unit is for. That is what this community is for. So I'll do it again. I'll ask another question. Who in your life right now are you strengthening and encouraging? Who in your life are you strengthening and encouraging? Who are you providing support for? And who are you speaking life into? You know, I would venture to say if there's no one that we're doing that for, that there's a chance that we're walking in disobedience because this is what God has called us to do. God has called us to strengthen and encourage one another. And so a, kind of a hypothetical, you think about the church at Thessalonica in the middle of persecution, what they were facing. You would like to believe they were crying out to, to God and saying, God, I need you to strengthen us. God, I need you to encourage us. God, we need your help. And they're pleading with God. They're begging with God to provide what they need so that they can keep fighting. And then all of a sudden, Timothy shows up. So what we can learn from that is that God was providing provision through his fellow worker. God sent Timothy to answer the prayer of the people at Thessalonica. Do you realize that if given the opportunity, you have the ability to speak strength and encouragement into someone's life? Do you realize that God is using you to provide provision? I don't know about you, but that's humbling. That you realize that you could be the answer to someone's prayer that God wants to use you as his fellow worker 
that there's a brother or sister that may be in this room right now that is hurting, that is lonely, that feels like they have no one and they are crying out to God. God, you've gotta let me know that you're not through. You've gotta let me know that you care about me. God, that you've gotta let me know that you love me. And then all of a sudden, God places someone on your heart and then you go to that person and you say, hey, I just want you to know I'm here for you. You realize what's happened? The Holy Spirit of God has used you to provide strength and to provide encouragement into a brother or sister in Christ. You say, well, God can use me. Absolutely, he can. Absolutely, he can use you for that very reason. That your obedience could be God's provision. Your obedience could be God's provision. But I'll be honest with you, when I got very convicted when I was reading this, is most cases, anytime that we pray with the mindset of strength and encouragement is when we need it. It's easy to pray God, I need strength. God, I need encouragement. But how does the whole narrative switch if we begin to pray for opportunity for us to be strength and encouragement? It's real easy to pray, God, I need, I need, I need but what would it look like if we as his people begin to cry out and say, God, show me a door that I can walk through so that I can be strength and encouragement for someone else. Can I tell you, there's so many times in my life, look, this past week, it was a hard week. It was a hard week emotionally. It was a hard week spiritually. I had to prepare for this on Tuesday. I had to prepare and perform my grandmother's funeral on Wednesday, knowing all the while that I've got a 10 p.m. and a 2 a.m. window slot that I've got to fill on Saturday night, and I've still got to prepare for that. But can I tell you that in this week, there were times that I was like, I'm just, pfft, I'm done. And God's timing is the moment I would receive a text message and all it would say is I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And in that obedience from multiple people, God was providing provision for me. But what would it look like if we as his people prayed for open doors to provide strength and encouragement to other people? And maybe that's how you respond this morning. Just ask God to use you. But I've told you a thousand times, if you ask God to use you, you better buckle your seatbelt because it's coming. All you have to do is make yourself available and God will utilize you as a soldier. So maybe that's what you need to pray. That's how you respond this morning. God, use me. 
Think back on your life when people provided strength and encouragement. You know what it meant to you. You know how it helped you. Do you realize you're holding the keys to that in someone else's life? Don't short them because of your disobedience. You be obedient with whatever God leads you to do. But that's what I love most about Paul and Timothy. In that verses four and five, he, he says, look, we've warned y'all. We've warned you that these difficult times were coming. We've warned you that hard seasons were ahead of you. But what I love about Paul and Timothy and Silas is they said, look, we're gonna warn you of it, but we're not gonna stop there. We're gonna walk with you through it. We're not just gonna talk about the hard times that are coming, but when they come, we're gonna be right here to walk alongside you. And that's what I love about these guys is they lived it out. They lived it out. And so in response this morning, this is directed to the believer. This is directed to the Christians who are in this room that would call Jesus your Lord. The three things that I want you to evaluate this morning is when have you been burdened to the point of agony for a brother or sister in Christ? When have you been that burdened for someone? The second thing, when have you let your love for the church override your love for your own comfort? And maybe your response is this morning is, God, make me uncomfortable. You want me to pray, what? Make me uncomfortable. The only reason I want you to pray that you're uncomfortable is because I know God is gonna show up and be your comfort. That's why I pray that God calls you to be uncomfortable is because he is gonna show up and be what you need. But then lastly, Ask God to use you. Ask God to reveal to you who needs to be strengthened and who needs to be encouraged. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. 
Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.